This is the week ahead brought to you by Advisorpedia and powered by Tomatica Research. I'm Chris Versace, Tomatica's Chief Investment Officer, and joining me as she does every week to dispel what's going on, put context and perspective into place is Tomatica's Chief Macro Strategist, Lenore Hawkins. Hello, Lenore. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I usually try to do a little chit chat with you and you blow right past me because you're so anxious to get to the data. I get excited. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pass the baton over to you. It happens. Yeah. And there's been a lot of coffee. So I'm going to apologize to everyone in advance that uh, I'm pretty excited. A lot going on. Just, um, just all all I suggest is instead of trying to talk like this, get all the data in. Let's just take our time and really, and really do a good job for the listener. All right. So this week, kind of interesting. We've been seeing, you know, while the, the talk's been market, new record high, new record high. Now there, there are wee little new record highs because they're not like a huge jump up. But at the same time, we've seen a lagging advanced decline. And that means that fewer new highs for the majority of companies. We're seeing fewer and fewer making these new highs and increasing new lows and weaker volume. In addition, This has been taking place as short and medium-term oscillators within the NASDAQ have risen well into overbought territory. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of expected that this was eventually we were going to have to have a little bit of a a mini day of reckoning, not seeing anything's crashing. We were were talking about this on the last Last episode where we were saying that like pretty much all the good news is priced in. What's yeah. the catalyst that is going to drive leg. the market you know, substantially higher, particularly in the back half of the year as we set up for earnings and we knew the Delta variant was kind of starting to weave in and it yeah. became yeah, a big headlines, right? deal this week. So the NASDAQ kind of, it finally succumbed. And what we've been seeing too, which I always find very interesting is while the S&P has been making new highs, the mm-hmm. S&P and the, the S&P 500 was in positive territory on the week the S&P 500 equal weight, not so much. That's a different story. And what that tells you is that those high flyers, those big names, those massive companies, we're talking Fang, hello. Um, those mm-hmm, guys, mm-hmm. The, the Fang, the extended Fang, those guys are are continuing. They're back on the leading the market and much of the rest of the market is, is, is struggling a little bit. Not saying there's any bit of a crash coming or anything like that. It's just, like you said, what's the good news? And that's particularly evident with the Russell 2000 that's been really in a sideways trading pattern, kind of consolidating since March. And a lot of that is waiting to to see what's going to go on with the recovery, with opening up the economy. Um, The index currently is sliding towards the lower boundary of that trading range. And the short-term indicators are kind of under downside pressure but medium term kind of bobs around the neutral zone. So again, we're not saying that there's like some crash coming up. It's just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this is, and it's summer too, right? This is what kind of happens. Well, it's summer right before earnings season, but you know, late last week, we saw that Thursday sell-off. I think in the NASDAQ daily markets that we write, you, you termed it as a risk off event, which it clearly yeah. was. But then on Friday, we saw the market eh, kind of come back so that the week was pretty much, you know, kinda little nice. change, but yeah. so, so, just from your perspective, why the whipsaw in the market? It's a market in search of guidance. Part it's summer and part what's coming up next. And we've got a few, we've got a few events on the horizon that have the potential to get the market's attention. Um, For example, July 31st is the expiration of the debt ceiling extension. 
-hmm. and haven't made a whole lot of progress yet on that discussion. Mm -hmm. The last time we had this was in July of 2011. And that time the S&P crushed about 6% in one month and then didn't really start making any material advances until December of that year. So I think right now there's just a lot of unknowns. There's no real reason to get super, super pessimistic. Things are a bit overbought. So Mm -hmm. we're going to see some pullback on that. And there's just not, where's the great news going to be coming from to say, oh, let's go higher. What I also found particularly interesting is with all the talk of a booming equity market this year and that the bond market, oh, you know, bonds are dead. The, the, the bull market and bonds is over. Hmm. Investors are not buying that because net inflows into us bond funds are far outpacing those for the comparable equities. Uh, Bond mutual funds and ETFs added about $372 billion as of June 23rd versus just $160 billion for equities. So it's less than half went into equities as went into bonds. And it looks like bond funds are on track to eclipse their prior record high of $446 billion in 2020. Wow. Well, look, I I, I know where we've Got a short week last week. We're still some folks are still recovering from uh, the Fourth of July holiday. A lot of people were out, but in the last two weeks, you know, we ended the June quarter. We kicked off the September one. We got a bunch of data, end of month, start of month, whether it's manufacturing, services, jobs. Uh, you know, what did you make of it all? In in some, did it surprise you? Did it surprise to the upside? We know no, GDP expectations have been revised. Help, help put some of that famous Hawkins context around. What, what we've been talking about since I would say probably March, maybe mm-hmm. even earlier, we've been saying since then that towards the summer and heading into the fall, that that rapid pace in economic recovery would really start to wane. The rubber band Expec- would snap back. Right? Yeah, the expectations would start to come down because you're, it was not going to continue in a linear fashion. You're not going to get, because we're dealing with the base effects. You're also dealing with that, boom, we're open. Get out of that well, house and do something fun. Right, right. So the data has been coming in, pointing to that rolling over. Um, last week's ISM non-manufacturing and the market services PMI both declined sequentially and both came in weaker than expected. And we're seeing that more where data is coming in a bit weaker than expected, which is also an indicator of kind of rolling over because when the the data consistently comes in better than expected, you're kind of moving your way up. When the data starts coming in weaker than expected, bit after bit, that's telling you there's a bit of a rolling over because that that acceleration up is now kind of going to a rollover. Uh, both the U.S. and global indices for for services indicated that we've seen a peaking out of the year-over-year base effects. This is just what we've expected to happen, and that fits in with the corresponding rally we've been seeing in Treasuries because right. now you've got the equity versus bonds, like, okay, so growth isn't going to be that spectacular. So bonds are starting to look a little bit better and inflation fears are starting to tame down. Uh, please note that when we say this though, we are not saying that the economy is crashing or anything like right. that. It's just that like crazy expectations for an incredible 2021 are starting to come back into reality. So, and the GDP so it's, it's forecasts still, are reflecting that. So it's still growing, right? It's just not growing just as fast pace. as had been expected. Yeah. So the, the, Atlanta Fed's now expecting 7.8% growth at an annual rate for Q2, which 7.8, wow, that sounds great. But when you think about how much fiscal stimulus, and we see fiscal stimulus, the likes of which has never before occurred, 
And then if you take it in light of the revisions, it's a bit of a different story. So it's 7.8% now for QT. A week ago, it was 8.3. Mid-June, it was 10.5. Early May, it was 13.7. So boom, 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 boom. It keeps so, getting revised down to where it's like mm, almost half of what it was in early so, May. So the listeners can't see this because um, I'm shaking my head as, as you tick through these. And it, it's... Uh, you know, maybe I'm biased against the Atlanta Fed. I always prefer the data out of, out of the New York Fed, but the Atlanta Fed, they are always like, they always overshoot one way or the other. It's always amazing to me. I, I would love to talk with well, them. It's just, it's the math. And, 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 and it's get the, the math innards. that they use. Well, right. So I would love to know exactly how they're weighting things in their models compared to some of the other feds to see how they get to these always high numbers. Well, I think part of, what that what you're seeing there is they're extrapolating their models do not say okay for for the first month of the quarter this is what the data look like but we're going to assume that the data is going to degrade in the next couple of months so those expectations come down as the data is coming in weaker mm -hmm. than expected, mm -hmm. right? As the data is coming in lower, then that gets factored into the well, model. That, in the beginning the, of the quarter. But that's the same with, but isn't that the same with the New York Fed? So I'm just curious how they're, oh, there's such a delta between their figures. Uh, they do use different formulas. That's what I'm saying. I would just like to know the weightings. That's all. Anyway, anyways. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. You were about to continue talking about some of these for, uh, forecasts and the negative revisions that we've been seeing past the Atlanta Fed. Yeah, so the New York Fed is now down to, for Q3, 3.9%. A month ago, that was 5.4. A week ago, it was 4.1. And now it's 3.9. Now still, 3.9% is still great. So we're not saying the economy is crashing. It's just if you look at the changes in expectations, this is exactly in line with what we were saying in like February, March, where the expectation was that things were just going to be amazing in 2021 and it was going to be the best year ever. It's like, yeah. So what, a lot of what we're seeing in the data is that there was really a pull forward in demand. And that means that demand in the coming quarters may in fact be even weaker than it normally would have been had you not had so much pull forward. You stole from a future to get great data today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we've seen that time and time again, sometimes due to regulatory mandates or, or other factors. And it, it's, it's like going up a hill and seeing a sharp, usually a sharp decline, but we'll, we'll see if that happens this time around. Now, earlier you were saying that um, treasury sold off, people are moving into bonds, safety trade, something else going on? Well, yeah, treasuries have actually, they've been doing well. The, the prices of treasuries have been going up because the, as the yields goes down, because they so right. go inversely. Um, what's really interesting to see is that the long bond yield has now broken below its 200-day moving average um, at 1.96. And at this point, it doesn't look like there's anything to stop it, just from a technical analysis perspective, before it hits 1.6. Um, what's really interesting is that is in light of the fact that the total return on the long bond um, since the middle of March is over 10%. So it isn't like we haven't already seen a material slide in yields. Um, the rally through the technical resistance looks a lot like what we happened, what we saw back in December of 2018. And recall that that decline in yields endured for the following year before the pandemic ever even struck. And keep in mind that even after this most recent rally, the yield curve is still pretty steep. And we're dealing with the reality of, of actual negative rates in the economy. Um, and, and that's, 
if you look at the real data, core retail sales were negative 0.4% in April, negative 0.7 in May. They got worse. Auto sales, negative 8.7 in May, negative 10.3 in June. Getting worse. Durable goods consumption, negative 0.1 negative in April, negative 4.3 in May. And new home sales, negative 2.7 in April and negative 5.9 in May. And existing home sales, negative 2.7 in April and negative 0.9 in May. So what is going on here? Because right, the home sales, we keep hearing about this hot market, but home sales are declining. And that's at a time where Freddie Mac just updated its tracking of mortgage rates and found that the 30-year fixed rate conforming mortgage sits around 2.9%. Now, you want to know how low that is? That's in the bottom 0.9% of all periods. So that's even lower than the, the bottom percentile. Um, that's an all, this is the all-time record low was reached on January 7th at 2.65%. So we're just about there and an adjustable rate mortgage with a five-year fix that then goes variable, those are down to 2.52%. That is in fact the lowest rate in all history. So we're seeing the lowest mortgage rates and yet home sales are really starting to decline and mortgage applications have as well. Mortgage rates are falling. You would expect mortgage rates to increase, but they're not. Mortgage applications dropped 1.8% this past week after a 6.9% drop the prior week. And now mortgage applications are back where they were January 17th of 2020, like a year and a half ago. And they're down 36% from the recent 2021 high. Refinancing as well. Mortgage rates are plummeting. Wouldn't you think people would be refinancing? Well, that refinancing is down 41% from the 2021 high. So all that's telling you is that so much of that activity that was looking fantastic is actually pulling forward activity from the future. And despite all these falling rates, People aren't able to buy homes because the bottom line for buying a home is about affordability and the prices are skyrocketing. So prices are skyrocketing, but on very small volume. So it's not really indicative of exactly what's going on in the market. We're seeing the consequences of all that pull forward in demand because of that dominant factor. The surge in home buying activity, we meant that we saw about six years worth of spending lumped into 16 months. That's just one of the very strange, unique aspects of this pandemic versus what you would see in a normal recession that's not caused by some. So, sort of... I, the the question I would pose then, after all of that, Lenore, is who's left? Yeah, exactly. Who's left to buy a house? Well, who's left and who can? Right. Right, because we're not seeing uh, it, it, home prices can't keep going up with incomes not. Okay. The, the mortgage about, rates will help a little bit with that, but not indefinitely. What about on the jobs front? I know one of your favorite reports came out this week, the JOLTS report. What, what did you make of it? So what the thing that really jumped out at me was that hirings fell. Hirings fell. Like, let's just wrap your head around that. We've got over 9 million job openings, and yet hirings were lower this month than they were last month. That's the first time we've seen them drop in a year. Um, job openings are still high, but came in below expectation. The number of quits fell by 388,000. Now that's the second largest decline in the number of quits on records, but it was from a record high level of quit, which is also really interesting. This, this economy is just unlike anything we've really seen before. Here we are just coming out of a, of a pandemic. You had people watching their homes, people worried about their jobs, so worried that we had all this record level of fiscal, fiscal stimulus. And yet we just saw 
the highest number, not this past month, but the month before we saw the highest number of quits ever on record. And that's a lot of it. Pandemic people decided, eh, I don't really like that to our community anymore. I was enjoying not having to do it. Now that, that data was for May or for June? For the quit, the jolts yeah. data or which? The jolts, the jolts. Yeah, the jolts was for June. Because it, for June. Okay. Okay. So how, how do you wrap that with that with that employment report that we got? Just just if you were to compare contrast, where where robust number of people getting back into the workforce. The 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 pace that was slowing. The pace is slowing substantially, which you wouldn't really expect to see given how many job openings there are. You would expect to see hirings remain really robust, particularly with an increase in vaccinations, right? That's still mm-hmm, going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. More of the economy being opened up, maybe people getting a little bit more comfortable, the mask mandates kind of falling apart, falling away, and high levels of vaccinations in some parts of the country you would think would make people who previously maybe weren't comfortable getting that job, maybe they are a little bit more comfortable now with it, the but it, we're, we're seeing a slowing. And it's, it's not that things are contracting, but it is a decrease in the rate mm-hmm. of increase. Mm-hmm. So one more time, another, another data point saying it's things are kind of rolling over as far as that rapid acceleration goes. Okay. And one of the other things that's been a factor in, in equities moving higher as they try to spur the economy has been the Fed. And uh, this past week, we got the Fed's latest monetary policy meeting minutes. Any meaningful change to their outlook? Anything different? So the overall, the, the minutes indicated that the Fed officials are, are happy with the economic recovery um, and focused on the strong level of investment and increases in productivity, which we've talked about a lot. Um, but they were not happy with the progress in, big surprise, the labor market, right? The labor market is really complex right now. When it comes to inflation, this is what I found most interesting. So these are the guys you think about, it, these are the guys that have access to all the best data, right? Like this is my nirvana. They have all the data that you could possibly want to get your hands on. And they're all really sharp cookies. These are not slackers. These are sharp guys. When it comes to inflation, half of them think the current, the high current prices are going to end up being in fact deflationary. And the other half think that these high prices are going to be self-reinforcing for high inflation. Several of the participants want to reduce mortgage-backed security purchases faster than the treasury bond purchases, thinking that that might have something to do with the housing bubble. So the bottom line is this stuff is really complicated. And even the experts with all the data available right at their fingertips, they don't agree. And the market didn't really react noticeably once these minutes were released. So I think the, eh, we're not really sure is kind of priced in. And that's also what we're seeing in the market, not big moves in any direction. In other words... Let's wait for Jackson Hole. Mm. And the debt ceiling debate. Right, 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 right. Okay. Now, this next topic, I I was going to talk about it in a little bit, and I'm I'm sure we'll touch on it um, just because of the number of earnings reports that will be coming at us this week. But but there's some interesting developments in one particular area of the economy, banks. Yeah. So the big news, whoa, this one came out last Thursday. Hoi, hoi, hoi. Wells Fargo announced that it is closing all credit lines and is no longer going to be offering them. Wow. I don't think I've ever seen such a start harsh pivot like that before. Yeah. The growth in deposits has been at the fastest year over year pace on record going all the way back to the 1970s. Um, the 
the pace of deposits peaked at 123% year over year in February, this past February, and is now down to an 89% year over year increase. I mean, that's just amazing, more than doubling the rate of deposits. Now, before this, the highest level we ever saw, the highest increase in deposits was 53% in October of 2011. So this is 230% higher than the prior peak. So you think about what's a bank's business. A bank's business is they take in deposits and then they turn around and they lend them out. So they're getting massive amounts of deposits. The, the level of deposits coming into them is, we've never seen anything like that. But then they turn around and they're, they're cutting down on the lending. And we're not talking about a decline in the rate of increase, but an mm-hmm. actual year over year decline. So commercial lending is in contraction. We just saw the second biggest year over year plunge in history that was outdone only by the plummet at the end of 2009, kind of start of 2010, that was over 20%. This one was just under 17%. And if you go through like the St. Louis Fed has some fantastic data on this. And if you look at all the different kinds of loans, they're pretty much all of them are down um, from the first quarter of 2020 to the first quarter of 2021. Real estate loans are down. Uh, consumer loans are down 4.2%. Credit card loans are down 13%. Leases are down 6.5%. Commercial and industrial are down 4.4%. Agricultural loans are down 9.7%. I think that that's really interesting that they've got more deposits on their books. So they've got more ability to lend. And at the same time, they're cutting lending. And now you've got Wells Fargo saying that they are closing all credit lines. And that tells you that these negative real interest rates are, there's a price. Well, I know banks, like I said, are reporting next week. And I know we're going to be picking over this data, but I mean, that's, that's A, fascinating. And B, I'm kind of curious to see which banks who stay in the game, pick up that market share from Wells closing their business. That'll be kind of interesting. Well, let's move on. So you got, as we know, uh, You've got boots on various grounds at different times, and you've written for our partners at the NASDAQ quite a bit about the pandemic, um, but yet we're talking, starting to see a lot more chatter about the uh, uh, Delta variant. People are increasingly concerned that we might be uh, seeing a Groundhog Day movement here. What are your thoughts on this? We just got a warning from the World Health Organization that uh, lockdowns, the easing of the lockdowns may need to be stopped and lockdowns may need to be introduced. The global case count remains elevated with a seven day moving average at over 380,000 per day. Granted, that's down from 80,000 just two months ago. So it's, it's a little bit less than half, but it's still pretty high. And when you take a step back and look at, okay, all over the world, we all know that the, the herd immunity target is about 70%. Well, just over 10% of the world has been vaccinated as of early July. And officially just over 2% have been exposed. Now we all know that's probably really understated, but let's say it's 10 times that. Well, that's 10 times expected. So 20% have been exposed. Well, that means that we're just 30% of the world has some sort of immunity. So we're still a very long way from having that actual, that herd immunity. And the variants are remaining very concerning. 50% of all the new cases in the US are from the Delta variant. And what we're also seeing is that basically all hospitalizations and deaths are from people who are not vaccinated. So the, the push is still really on to get people vaccinated. Would you say the biggest risk is probably to the airline industry as they're, they're on the cusp 
of trying to get back to what they were doing, even some starting to reopen international travel. Yeah, leisure and hospitality is definitely, and air travel, that's definitely the, the first to get hit. But if this gets really crazy again, you know, if, if this variant, if, if the variant forms a variant, if we evolve again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to another one that really can push through the, the vaccinations or people who've already been exposed and have some sort of natural immunity, it could hit an awful lot of parts of the economy because we, if we have to go through another one of those start stops, I mean, you're, we're already still facing um, shortages all over the place in huge range from home furnishings to chemicals, bicycles, to uh, bicycles, appliances. I mean, if we have to go through that again with such an interconnected global supply chain, I think a lot of areas of the economy could get hit. And that's probably one of the things that, you know, summer things tend to get a little kind of calm down a bit in the summer anyways. But I think it's another reason we're seeing a pause in the market because it's like, uh, you know, is this, is, are we going to, are we going to lock this thing down and really start to, to be able to open up and have the, the variant not become a huge problem or, oh God, are we in for another round? Well, I, th- I think it was the president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank that issued a warning that if we don't get more people vaccinated because the, it appears the current vaccines can prevent at least the spread of Delta, if we can't get that to, an, uh, to a higher level, both here in the US and outside, she seems to think that yes, economic expectations are gonna have to be dialed back. Yep. All right, well, that's, that's what we saw, but as we get ready for the week ahead, Lenore, what are some of the key points? What two or three things are you really gonna be focusing in on and what do you hope to hope to learn from them? Uh, so I'll be looking for inflation data on July 13th. We get some inflation um, information on July 14th, producer price index, which is basically also some more inflation data. I'll be looking to see if that's if if the rolling over is starting to affect there. I'll be looking at the New York Empire State Manufacturing Index, which comes out July 15th, as well as the Philly Fed Manufacturing Index Industrial Production. Those all come out on the 15th. That's more of is the economy that that rolling over the the slowing of the pace of of growth is that happening there? Then we get retail sales on the 16th. How's the consumer doing? I'm thinking that that's that there's a chance that that could come in weaker than expected, mm-hmm. and we'll also get Michigan consumer sentiment that day. Um, that be looking at that to see again more of the rolling over and the big one not next week, but the big one to keep in mind because it'll it's not really making headlines right now, but the July 31st debt ceiling um, suspension expires that day. Uh, we could, you know, we've had this happen a couple of times and then, and Congress has gotten it together and managed to work out a deal. And we didn't actually have to go into those extraordinary measures where the, the Fed, federal government can't pay its bills, but it could happen. We'll see. It's yeah, one to pay attention to. It could be a non-event, but it's something to pay attention to. I- I suspect that we're going to see what we've seen more often than not is the can gets the can gets kicked the very last minute and everything passes and people whoosh, breathe a sigh of relief. I'm hoping that's the case. We we do have the earnings season gauntlet to get through between retail sales and the debt ceiling, so there could be some movement in the market, you know, above and beyond that. Um, before we talk about earnings of note uh, this past week, which really there weren't very much, there were a couple of interesting things that kind of jumped out um, as it relates to some of our indices. These are thematic indices uh, that we at Thematica have that power a couple of different ETFs in the US and Europe. Uh, in particular, cleaner living um, 
just two quick things. One, Beyond Meat. Now, we haven't really talked about them in quite a while, but might be surprising to know that they have finally reintroduced their quote, I'm using air quotes here, meat-free chicken tenders in about 400 restaurants across the U.S. This is kind of interesting to me because chicken and then fish are the two large markets that these plant-based alternatives really have to tap into. Thus far, it's been primarily beef uh, and beef alternatives. So that, that, to me, that, that's actually kind of interesting. The concoction, fava beans and peas, also very interesting. Uh, surprisingly, 14 grams of protein per serving. Who'd have thought, Lenore? Apparently not you. Um, and then the other one would have been <laughs> shares of Chinese electric company, Neo. Uh, this to me is actually kind of interesting because one of the things that separates Neo apart from um, a number of other EV companies is they actually run a battery swapping program. So if you're driving along and your EV runs out of charge, they'll actually bring you a battery, swap it out, and you can be on your merry way rather than waiting or trying to find a charging station have to cool your jets for a little while as your battery gets recharged. So they're targeting having about 4,000 battery swapping stations globally by 2025, up from about 700 in 2021. So just, just an that interesting thing. That makes so thing. much sense. So instead of like stopping at the gas station and filling up the tank, you, you stop say, here's the, you, you say, here's the tank. Give me you a new swap tank. Your tank. <laughs> yeah, exactly that makes right. A so that's a lot of sense. It does, doesn't it? it, it it's it's interesting that that they're doing that. You know, there are other questions about that. That's a great that. idea. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, how do you ensure you get a quality battery and all that other yeah. stuff? I, I'm sure there are things to be ironed out. Oh yeah, it, but it's but conceptually, it's a really great idea. It's, instead of it's, waiting it, to charge it. Well, it, it's a different twist here. I'm waiting to see if any of them. Uh, of the EV companies or even ChargePoint, for example, or Blink adopt something like that um, just because it would really have a far quicker turnaround time than say having to wait and charge your vehicle up. So it's uh, something to keep an eye on. Um, uh, and then yeah. that, it doesn't, doesn't look like there was anything on the earnings front last week that was really big, um, but we've entered into the June quarter earnings season. And as we touched on just a few minutes ago, it's going to be bank central the next few days. Uh, with, we'll be hearing from companies like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, PNC, and as we just discussed, Wells Fargo, <laughs> right, right. Morgan Stanley, and a few others. What are you going to be paying attention to when you dig into these reports? Well, I, to me, there's really going to be, I, I think, two things. One is going to be, what are they saying about you know consumer uh, not so much consumer spending, but really about consumer debt levels, you know, and those metrics surrounding, you know, credit cards and the like, I think those are going to help us understand how much power the consumer has for the back half of the year. And the back half of the year, as you know, we've got uh, before too long, the uh, back to school shopping season, then we have, you know, the various holidays. So consumer spending is a very powerful component of the economy in the back half of the year. We want to assess how much firepower do they have particularly given what you were talking about earlier with what likely appears to be some pull forward in retail sales spending. So that's the first thing. And then the other is just touching on what you were talking about earlier on the business side of things. What are we seeing for loan activity? Does this give us some confidence that yes, we can continue to see um, positive economic growth in the back half of the year and to what degree? Yeah, it's, it's amazing the level of contraction that we're seeing in lending, which is as people think about inflation, keep that in mind because it's really tough to get a rampant inflation when you have a contraction in 
both lending and a contraction from more of people's money going into just deposits. So the money's just sitting in there and then banks aren't lending it out. That is, that's one of the ways that that velocity of money drops. But that is kind of a headwind, isn't it, for bank earnings? Right? That's a big because, time because they're not making any money on it at all. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're, they're in the business to lend. And when you see a company right. saying, yeah, we're not lending so much over here in this area we used to lend, we don't want to do that. Ah. I mean, part of it has to do with Wells got the, the slap on the wrist because of that whole scandal about the, the fraudulent accounts and they, their, their cap. And part of that is responding to that, but it's well, I guess- seeing- Seeing contraction in lending is never good for the bank. It, 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 it's going to be interesting too, because I believe in the last filings, I think we saw Warren Buffett ease up on his um, bank holdings. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Oracle of Omaha once again nailed it or not. Well, outside of the banks, what else are you going to be looking for? So we got a handful of companies that are coming uh, with reports. E- each one is going to have its own significance. Um, you know, Just real quick, on Tuesday, we've got Canagra. Uh, this is the big frozen food company. They're going to face very difficult year-over-year comparisons because of the pandemic spike. Uh, we're going to want to see, you know, how do those comps really come in? How much do they attribute to the reopening and people returning to restaurants? Um, that'll be a positive indicator for other restaurant-facing companies, including uh, the other company that reports that day, PepsiCo. Uh, Pepsi, like Coke, tremendous business in the at-home market, whether it's for PepsiCo's you know, salty snacks or their beverages. But now that we've seen the reopening, we wanna see is Pepsi seeing a pickup in its away from home consumption beverage business or not. Uh, Wednesday brings Delta Airlines. And you know, as we were just talking about, it'll be very interesting to hear what they have to say about the Delta variant when they talk about their outlook for the second half compared to the first half. Here we're talking, Schedules, fares, you know, butts and seats, but most importantly, international travel. Uh, Especially since the U.S. is still not, it's it's still not allowing, for example, Europe. Europeans aren't allowed into the U.S. Europe has opened up to the U.S. being traveling abroad, but the U.S. hasn't returned that. So that that makes it very complicated for those international routes, right? Because if Europe is open to Americans, then you have a flight going from the U.S there but you'd like to have both as both someone ways. who tra- as someone who I, I don't think i'm giving anything away here but as someone who travels back and forth wh- why do you think the u.s is hesitant to do that even though europe has Be- extended because, the gesture well because it, the u.s is so far along with vaccinations mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. the the level i mean the uk's done great as well but if you're looking at france spain italy ireland germany they're just they're 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 not they're not as far along on the, in, the vaccinations in, as the U.S. is. In full vaccinations, meaning two doses? Uh, the, all of it. Okay. Both okay. the single dose and getting the full two-dose shot. Okay. Okay. All right. So back, back to the earnings for the week. Thursday brings us uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, which is the largest foundry out there for chips. And as we know, chips are the fabric of our lives. It'll be interesting to hear what it has to say, not just on auto chips, given the expectation that the shortage is going to start to improve as we move throughout the current quarter, but there's a lot of speculation as to what shortages there might be for other chips, smartphones, and the like. So Taiwan Semiconductor's comments um, are really, I think, going to pave the way for what we can see, uh, not only for tech stocks, but chip stocks as well. And then Friday, we've got uh, two interesting reports. One is going to be Ericsson, which 
you know, given our digital infrastructure and connectivity index is going to be key because they're going to give the first real solid update on 5G and a real concrete outlook for the back half of the year. And the other company that's going to be there is Kansas City Southern. And normally we don't talk about railroads. We do like them because, you know, their business is moving things around, which is a nice indicator uh, for the manufacturing economy. So two reasons to pay attention to them. One, drew and rail traffic was up 19% year over year. Stuff is moving. But the real reason to look at it is um, late in the week last week, uh, the Biden White House ramped up their regulatory scrutiny on the rail industry. And I'm very curious to see how they see this playing out because you know, there are only so many railroads. So it's kind of interesting that the Biden administration is looking to in on this one. Could it be price, price fixing? Could it be something else? I think Kansas City Southern will give us the first good glimpse at what that could be. Anything else you'd be keeping an eye on? For next week? I think that's about it. I would say that is pretty much your uh, week ahead. <laughs>